Bronze and Modern Gods is the name. Comic collecting is our jam. Ah, oh, you thought I was going to say game. That was uh, very gamey. I'll have to admit. <laughs> I'm John, and that guy over there is Richard. What's going on, Richard? Uh, not much. How you doing, John? I am doing well. Richard got to see uh, Nine Inch Nails, Ministry, yeah. and Nitzreb last night. Yes, yes, yes. It was a great show. If you're into ancient alternative music, <laughs> industrial music, industrial? it was a good show. Is yeah. industrial still a thing? Does, does anyone under the age of 30 know what industrial <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, Knights of Reb, uh, they go on stage. It's just two guys, and it's the two of them fake playing the drums and fake playing the keyboards. Because you know it's all recorded. Yeah, as you do. Exactly. Yeah, but it was a great show. It was it was, it was, was an awesome show, all three bands. Jealous. I wish I had been at that show. <laughs> but we're here with you today together for viewer mail. And we've got uh, always our underrated books of the week, the 25-year rule. And before we get to the hot book of the week, I want to talk a little bit about CGC's announcement today that they are now noting newsstand and multi-pack editions on the label. Good news, right? It is good news. It is good news. I'm um, I'm glad to see they finally make it official. They've they've in the past for certain books have marked them newsstand on the label, but it's not been consistent. And so now they're actually giving you a vehicle to uh, submit your existing books that are newsstand that uh, have do not have newsstand on the label. Uh, they're adding a new checkbox to the reholder uh, uh, form to allow you to check that to uh, to make people look at the book when they actually grade it to market as newsstand. How gracious of them to allow you to resubmit the books that you've already submitted. This isn't a way to make extra cash for them at all whatsoever, is it? No. But you know what? I, I've got a Ultimate Fallout 4 newsstand. Uh, it's one of my favorite books in my collection. And uh, I paid a lot of money for it back when it wasn't worth a lot of money. Um, and I, I I just don't think I'm going to send it in to get it to get it reholdered. I just don't. I don't have enough confidence in um, CGC to take care of my book, the book that is so important to me, so valuable to me. Uh, you know, there's a chance they'll something will happen to it, and CGC will shrug their shoulders and say sorry. I, I, I can't accept that for 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 that book. What I want to know is what happened to the outcry that we were told a couple months ago from prominent members of the comic community that demanded less notes on the label. Did that change? Yeah. I, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's interesting. We're going to have less notes on the label. You guys. Oh, wait, by the way, except for this, we're going to add label notations for this now. Well, oh. they walked that whole thing back. Haven't they? Uh, well, yeah, they still won't note a detached cover. But they'll tell you if it was a newsstand attached cover. Mm -hmm. If only there was a way to tell a newsstand from a direct edition without noting it on the label, Richard. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that that gives credence to me not wanting to turn take my book and turn it back in. It's I know it's a newsstand. Anybody who looks at it knows it's a newsstand. Has that barcode on it, and uh, I, I I don't need CGC's uh, confirmation that it is a newsstand. So I'll, I'll keep it in my, in my collection. I will say the later books, like your ultimate fallout four, it is tougher at first glance to, to see if it's a newsstand versus a direct edition. So that yeah. I can see, 
but God, this is such sorry i'm here we go with me trashing cgc again such a cash grab it's so obvious they want everyone to go and rush and resubmit their books mm-hmm. that they've already submitted so they can get a newsstand or multi-pack notation i love the multi-pack notation uh, they're not going to call them whitman's they're not going to call them mm-hmm. reprints they're just going to call them multi-pack i think that's a compromise between whitman and reprint um yeah I, I, I don't mind that name as much. And I, I, I do have other books that I, I am contemplating submitting. I got a She-Hulk uh, number 40, the jump, you know, the jump rope edition. Um, that's a new stand. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I might send that one in. It's a nine, six. Um, I wouldn't mind having it marked news, uh, new stand, but for the most part, this, this really isn't going to affect me in, in my collection. I, I'm just going to keep the books as is. Now, I think if you had a newsstand of this next book, you should definitely send it in to get noted. And then is our hot book of the week, Richard. What is it? It is Swamp Thing number 37. Uh, this is the first appearance of John Constantine. Uh, this is uh, one of Alan Moore's um, best works, in my opinion. This whole series, this whole Swamp C- uh, Thing series. Uh, it also features the art of John Tolben who uh, his art made the series for me. It's, it's creepy and unsettling and it's just a perfect canvas for Alan Moore's writing. How did he do that and make a monthly deadline? I know know, 20 pages with that intricate inking style and almost like scratch board style. And he, he must be a speed demon. It's amazing. (laughs) You say it's the first first appearance of John Constantine Hellblazer. I say it's the first appearance of sting. (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, now um, Tuttle Ben also did the art for Alan Moore's Miracle Man uh, so if, if you're a fan of his art don't pass up on Miracle Man because it is just as a compelling of a story as, as Swamp Thing I think, I think Alan Moore really made Swamp Thing in his, in his run uh, a thing I mean, it's, it's just an incredible story but you know the reason why this one's hot is uh, it's a kind of with a good news, bad news kind of thing. Uh, the bad news is HBO's J.J. Abrams uh, Constantine television show was canceled and uh, well, it's it announced to be dead, let's say. Um, the good news is, surprise, Constantine number two, uh, the movie uh, with Keanu Reeves was announced and moving forward with Fr- Francis Lawrence set to direct it again. Come on, get Sting. He's not busy. There's no police reunion happening. Get Sting. Sting Sting's a little long in the tooth at this point, John. And Keanu is a spring friggin' chicken too. Okay. Yeah, this is true. I I, I wonder why they 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 don't pick some no name uh, actor. I agree. Blonde is is more appropriate. Um, but no, they're going with Keanu. They're going with star power. Uh, he's his name is going to draw people in, and. Um, if you does weren't a put, fan, does this put Berserker on the back burner for all the people that have oh, stacks and stacks and stacks of Berserkers? I'm pretty sure it does. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I the first one, uh, the first uh, Constantine movie was okay. Um, I think Keanu has improved as an actor over, over time, and let's <laughs> we'll see what he he does in the second second version. 
Now, this book has been crazy. Uh, the you know during the lockdown, this book went nuts, uh, especially yeah. nine point eight. The GPA for a nine point eight was at thirty five hundred at one point, yeah. and you know it's it's settled down. We're now at a, a good two thousand dollars for this book. I remember I sold one at a live sale at the height of this whole. Yeah, um, I was like, and it was a newsstand too. Gosh, I wish I had it so I could resubmit it, Richard. <laughs> I, I think this book is is valuable regardless of whether there is a TV show or a movie tied to it. Uh, it's Constantine is just a part of DC's. Um, I want to call it horror, the, the dark side of the DC universe. Yeah, the dark side. I, I was trying to think. Of, um, we'll call it Vertigo, but we know what it is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's he's that that darker element, and supernatural is the stupid word I was trying to think of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's he is kind of the linchpin in making that supernatural a darker universe more than just saying magic words backwards to cast spells he actually gives some some real meat to to that genre and i think he is an important character in his own right in comics it may explain why we see uh joanna constantine in sandman instead of john because uh, mm-hmm. they wanted to keep him over to the side and not have that uh, diluted in any way. And, you know, will we see Etrigan a- the Demon? Will we see... Oh, I hope so. <laughs> will we see Zatanna? Will we see Blue Devil? Will we see Blue Devil? <laughs> uh, I hope we see all three of them, actually. I'm, I'm sure we're going to see Zatanna. That's, that's almost a given. That'd be great. Time now for your favorite... Topic and mind, viewer mail. You've got mail. Our first piece of viewer mail comes to us at our email address, bronzeandmoderngods at gmail.com, from Glenn Simpson, who writes, not to let go of the damaging comics line of discussion. You know, we're talking about selling pages and panels. Um, What do you think about people who have comic books bound? It would seem to me to be a very damaging thing to do, putting tiny holes and or glue along the edges of comics, so I was surprised when I saw Overstreet had information regarding grading such things as if it was perfectly normal. Signed, Glenn Simpson. Glenn, um, bound comics were a common thing more in the 50s uh, and 60s when people would want to save these things on their bookshelves and there wasn't really that big of a collector's market yet. So you'll find vintage bound volumes. DC's library, you know, they were bound volumes, a lot of those books. So it wasn't unheard of. I can see Overstreet giving grading guidelines for that kind of thing. Now, people binding books these days, I'm guilty. Do you know I have a bound volume? Of what? Uh, I I have a a bound volume of, I think, um, I have a couple. I think I did Quasar. I did a couple volumes of Quasar. What Um, did you find to to do the book binding? Oh, God, this was years ago. I couldn't even tell you. It was like 10, 15 years ago. Somebody in Hollywood that did this service and i i did it because they were all dollar books got them in the dollar bin and i wanted them on the shelf and this is before they ever would ever think of reprinting quasar nobody's going to reprint this book and it was before anything was worth anything from quasar you know there were no keys for quasar back then uh but it's i would never bind a book that was worth something uh Mm -hmm. but that's the thing you never know what's gonna pop who thought quasar books were gonna pop so yeah good question glenn yeah bound books well like john says they were i looked as at bound books as books that 
someone seriously was collecting. Mm-hmm. If you went to the effort of getting a series of books and putting them in a binder and because it's not inexpensive to do, you were planning on keeping those books for a long, for the long haul. And uh, people bound the books. Some people put three, three ring binder holes in the books. Um, and it is, in my opinion, a legitimate method for collecting books. It's just not something that, like John says, that we would do typically today. I wouldn't do so, it today. Yeah. No. Your next piece of your mail is along these lines about cutting things up. Yeah, and it makes sense. Uh, it's from Kyle Elliott. Uh, talk about cutting up uh, comic books. This is uh, like when uh, game used sports jerseys are cut up to make hundreds of patch cards because they'd make more money cutting them up than they ever could selling them complete. Yeah, yeah. So they, they would take actual jerseys, people who were played the games, they think they're sweaty jerseys, and they would cut them into inch size squares and mount them on cards so you could see the material through the card. And um, yeah, what a jersey sells for what, $100, uh, $200? They could make a fortune compared to that uh, by cutting it up into pieces. And, you know, if, if, you know, if I have less problems with people cutting up um, jerseys than I do with people cutting up comic books, that's completely my perspective because I'm a comic collector, not a jersey collector. I have a feeling, though, if I was a real jersey collector, I would look in horror at somebody taking a jersey and chopping it up into little tiny pieces. If there's one thing we've learned about baseball card collectors, it's that they can never, ever affect the comic book market in a negative way. Uh, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you lived through the comic book crash in the 90s, you know these card collectors are just not uh yeah let, i'm gonna keep myself out of trouble here and go on to our <laughs> next piece of your mail from ariel estandarte i hope i'm saying that right ariel he also emailed us at bronze of modern gods at gmail.com john and richard have you ever encountered marks inside the cases of cgc graded books here's pics of mine that i just received today and wondering if i should complain and risk a chance of losing my 9.8 when they re-encapsulate it any advice Take a look at this, Richard. I thought he was going to refer to Newton rings. Yeah, These are uh, not Newton rings. I don't know what the heck this is. It's almost like moisture got in there and then it dried, right? It looks like yeah, water. Yeah, it does. And it, it's on the inside of the case. So it had to have happened during the encapsulation process. So, Ariel, here's the thing. Normally, I would tell you, yeah, call customer service, get this sent back and get it re-encapsulated. The only issue is it's that yellow Wolverine number one cover that is so tough to get in 9.8 because of the damage that was done with a lot of that shipment and you have it signed as well. You're really taking a chance of losing your 9.8. So before you complain and send it in, try this. Cut a piece of uh, Mylar bag and try to fit it from the bottom of the case where there is that little opening between the inner well and the plastic of the case. Just kind of work it in there and see if that's like almost like a Newton ring type effect and see if you can separate it and, and, and make those things go away. Other than that, if those are actual marks on the plastic case and not just where it's touching the inner well, you're going to have to decide whether or not you want to take that chance. Uh, I would say you probably want to take the chance because if you're trying to sell this book, 
you're going to sell it to someone and they're going to complain about it when they get it. You're going to end up with it back anyway, I think. Yeah, you know, I would do it mainly because those that stain is going to be, you can see this book from, uh, you know, 100 yards away and you'll, you will be able to pick out those spots on, on this book. Um, and you're not going to, you're not going to be satisfied with your purchase until something is done, until it's addressed. So uh, at least I wouldn't be. Yeah. I would send it in. Um, I would make a note very with the submission saying, you know, very clearly what the problem is, because you want to make sure that they realize that the problem is on their end and you, um, and hopefully they will take, they will take the, uh, take care to uh, resolve the issue. I'm, I'm hoping the problems on the inside of the case and not. Yes. I would walk them through when I call them, I would say, don't take it out of the inner well, just replace that plastic case and and make sure it's very clear and take pictures of it before you send it back in. I see you have pictures here. Uh, So very important, very important. The more pictures, the better, the, the, the more history you have that you can share with them uh, about the condition, how, how it was when you received the book and like John says, make sure you tell them to uh, not cut the inner well un- unless it's absolutely necessary. Shouldn't if they be. don't, shouldn't be, yeah. And I, I, and I think you you will be able to retain your 9.8. Great. All right. Uh, more chopping broccoli, more chopping up books. I see in the next piece of your mail. Yeah, yeah, that was a theme. Well, uh, this is from our, from our, our uh, friend of the show, our pal Greg McPherson. Um, I own some of these of, of those cards. We're talking about um, uh, again chopped up comic books. I own some of those cards in the Fleer X Men and Spider Man sets, and quite frankly, I thought the pages were reproductions. It's crazy to me that pieces of classic Spidey books were actually used for these chase cards. Also, the rarity of these cards vary uh, varies, and many of them sells for several hundred dollars. Yeah, that's. That is, again, I, I, me personally, as a comic book collector, I, I hate to see rare books chopped into pieces. But uh, if you're a card collector, you know, maybe this is something that you find acceptable and desirable. So I'm ne- never going to gainsay somebody's method of collecting. For me, it's, it's, uh, it's not the way to, to, to treat those books. I'm just going to be salty. So I'm just going to move on to the next piece of your work. <laughs> Which is from Splash Panel Comics, who emailed us at Bronze of Modern Gods at gmail.com. We hear you being lukewarm on Dell's quantity over quality approach, but in the mid 60s, they started using their back covers for pinups, which are basically proto virgin variants featuring full size prints of the front cover without titles or the trade dress. They did this for everything from the first 13 issues of Dr. Solar to Buck Rogers, but some of the most striking examples come from oddities like Total War with covers by an artist named George Wilson. Yes. On good condition copies, these covers are a great alternative for anyone else who might be a little tired of yet another Bronze Age Marvel back cover ad. So leave Dell alone. Uh, <laughs> flash panel. Uh, now, keep in mind, there are variants of those covers. Not all of the same books have that back cover. Some mm-hmm. of them have ads. So you have to, when you're buying a Dr. Solar number five, you have to open it up and look at the back cover to see if it's the pinup or if it's an ad cover because there are variants. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, Dell 
I hear you about Dell, but are we talking about Dell? Are we talking about Gold Key? Are we talking about Western Publishing? It's so mixed up that history of this uh, this company, and I make the mistake often of just saying Dell over and over again when I'm referring to all three companies. For the people that don't know the twisted history, Google it sometime. Um, Dell was its own publishing company, and they bought books that were packaged to them for them by a company called Western Publishing, which owned the rights to Disney and things like that. And then Western went off and did their own thing and changed the name to Gold Key while Dell was still. Oh, it's a twisted. <laughs> but oh. if you stick with Dark Shadows like I do, you'll be fine. Have you ever got your Dark Shadows one yet? I have a Dark Shadows one. It does not have a poster. I need a Dark Shadows number one with a poster, people. So if anybody's got a good lead, <laughs> I love Dark Shadows. Oh, if you've never seen that show, it's so campy. It's so over the top. It's the best. Uh, and the comic book is even it's even better because it's just it has nothing to do with the show. It's just there's a va- vampire named Barnabas. About it. Yeah, yes. Think 50s soap opera without the without the fun. Yeah, it was 60s and early 70s, <laughs> 1971, and it was lots of fun. Oh yeah. my goodness. Well, you know what? Maybe for Halloween this year, we'll do a little, I'll do a little section of Dark Shadows for underrated book of the week. I, that sounds that sounds great. I, I would no, love to hear hear your your exposition on Dark Shadows. All right. And you, Richard, your viewer mail is all cut up comics all the time. Yeah, I picked this one because of the source material. Uh this is uh Cujo Bite. Uh Upper Deck's new Spider-Man metal set has an AF-15 uh, <laughs> card. Yes, they cut up an AF-15. My buddy hit one. It's a great card, but my heart sinks knowing they cut one up. Also on Signature Slab, I like anything from 1985 to 1990 and up signed, but absolutely nothing before 1980. I agree. Uh, I, I agree with you completely on that. I, I'm trying to think, do I have anything that's after? Oh, okay. I do have my X. I have an X-Men 94 signed by Chris Claremont. Um, Claremont's my, my man. So I, I, I will, I will pass that, but I don't think I have anything else uh, pre 1980 that signed. You didn't have Stan Lee scribble on a random copy of uh, a Ringo kid. Number 13. <laughs> No, no. I actually don't have very many signed books in my collection. Most of them are important, like Walt Simonson signing Thor uh, 337. Yep. Um, you know, Mark Bagley signing um, Ultimate Fallout 4. Uh, things like that. They all, they're all important to me. I think I just got soured on Signature Series books when I would go to conventions here in L.A. And I would see the long lines for poor Stanley, who was in his 80s, 90s at the time, being propped up, basically, signing books and people are like here's a stack of venom lethal protector number one for you to sign stand it's like you had nothing to do with venom you guys uh and that just soured me i know i'm old i'm crotchety i'm very crotchety this month yeah but no they're you know look at the 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 todd mcfarland's signature series it's uh todd gets premium money for his signature at least he he co-created the character though yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It's true. Sending random books doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, Stan, can you sign my Logan's Run number one? <laughs> uh, I mean, you see these books and you're like, well, you, we, I know you don't read comic books because you would know better. Oh, my gosh. If I could only go back 
back in time, Richard, blah, 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 25 year rule. Yes, that was a lame transition for our 25 year rule where we go back to 1997 and look at the books that made the late 90s this week. We're going to do a little dip into the Rob Liefeld pool. Oh, wow. Pockets. I know. Um, awesome comics. Judgment Day Alpha, number one. Richard, you might actually want this book because it was the first issue of Alan Moore's relaunch and reimagining of Rob Liefeld's awesome comics universe. Now, Alan Moore had been hired by Rob to reimagine Supreme. Fantastic run. If you've never read the Alan Moore Supreme run, it, mwah, the art is until Chris Sprouse comes on. Once Chris Sprouse is on, things, things pick up. And he was doing so well with Supreme that Rob gave him the keys to the kingdom, said, reimagine Youngblood, reimagine all my characters. And Rob smartly got the F out of the way and just let Alan do his thing. Excellent story here by Alan Moore. By Alan Moore, that's his name. Art by Rob Liefeld, okay. Gil Kane, Stephen Platt, Keith Giffen, okay. The beginnings of a great story here. This was followed by Justice, or sorry, this was followed by Judgment Day issues one through three, Justice Judgment Day Omega, and Judgment Day Aftermath. So all this was done. This was all set up ready to move into the next phase of the awesome universe. No, poof, awesome comics goes out of business. Now, a set of these various books and the cover variants sold last month on eBay for a whole $55, which is much more than I thought these would sell for. I read this when it came out because I was reading Supreme and they were advertising this and I thought, hey, he's doing a great job on Supreme. I'll give Rob some money and Judgment Day was good. It's it has to do with a trial with some people from Youngblood. I don't remember the plot exactly, but I know I enjoyed it. So, Richard, have you haven't read Supreme yet, have you? Nope. This is this was after I had left the hobby. It is. I don't think it's that. I, I don't think you can get it officially digitally from anywhere because there are some rights issues, but uh, mm-hmm. a little gray market digital action, and you can read the whole uh, run. I okay. highly recommend it. Any of you guys read Supreme? Let us know in the comments. Time for our underrated books of the week. Richard, what is yours? Uh, you know, we, we talked earlier about Gold Key books and uh, Dell books. Uh, this is kind of related. My, my pick is Johnny Quest, number one. This is the, but the Kamiko. Kamiko? Kamiko. <laughs> the 1986 uh, version. There is a Gold Key uh, from 1964, the first appearance of Johnny Quest in comics. It is... Uh, not underrated, just like a lot of the Hanna Barbera early, uh, you know, Saturday morning cartoon comics. Like number one, Scooby Doo. Yeah. Uh, they're all those books are high in nostalgia value, and they're very very collectible. If you come across them in um, a yard sale or or a garage sale, pick them up. Pick them up. All all these gold key books from the uh, from the mid sixties. I think they're they're great great buys. This is. Uh, a book from 1986. It's got a, a Doug Wiley wrap wraparound cover. Um, it is uh, again pr- printed in, in the 1980s. It features all the characters: Johnny, Race Banner, uh, Haji, and his dad. And don't forget the dog Bandit. I I think this is an untapped IP. I mean, this to me this this uh, intellectual property is dormant right now. 
but I think it has, it's got adventure. It's, 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 it's just a great, a great uh, set of characters that I would love to see reimagined and, and revitalized. And, and, you know, this, again, we are talking about nostalgia value. This, you know, for people my age who grew up watching, you know, you cartoons came on on Saturday morning. They weren't, there wasn't a channel of nothing but cartoons, 24 hours. You got, you got up early so you could watch them. You know, the first thing that came on and then you watched them all the way through the afternoon until wrestling or Superhost came on. American um, Bandstand was always kind of sad. For <laughs> it meant the yeah. were over. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. That was your week. Thanks. You know, um, this is one of those shows and, you know, um, it has a lot of nostalgia. I think there is, there is obviously, as we, as we've talked about the goal key version of it, there's, uh, there's a, an opportunity um, to get in on the ground floor of this 1986 version uh, while it's still uh, affordable. 9.8s are only a hundred dollars. Uh, you can get, um, get them on eBay from, you know, 15, $20. And if you just want to read or just want to collect them at that, at that rate, um, there are 83 9.8s on the census out of 240, 204 copies. In comparison, there are zero 9.8s of the gold key um, Johnny Quest books, uh, at least on CGC. There may be some CBCS. I didn't look at their stats. Interesting, because there's so many file copies of those books. I would think one yeah. would come to nine sixes. There's nine sixes, but no one is no one has had a nine eight graded yet. Hmm. Well, let's not forget the the main selling point of Johnny Quest in history with uh, the first uh, stable same-sex couple with uh, Dr. Quest and Race Bannon. <laughs> you know, I never looked at it that way. I guess, you, I guess you're right. They were great parents <laughs> to uh, young Johnny. Uh, no, I, I love Johnny Quest. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's undertones there. That's all I'll say. It's not. It's not a new a new observation I'm making here. Moving on to my underrated book of the week, <laughs> it is "What If Number 105." Richard, this is the first appearance of Spider Girl. Yeah, now, Mr. Spider Verse, Mr. I love all the Spider characters. Do you have a "What If Number 105"? I do not. I have the reprint of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's, it's a number zero. I can't think of the actual uh, Spider Girl Zero. Yeah, I yes. do have that. I do not have this uh, the original. Would you consider this really the first alternate universe Spider character? Yeah, yeah, I would. I, I think would. So. This, of course, led into Spider Girl's ongoing series that ran for more than a hundred issues. Uh, Spider Girl was a book I was reading. It was by Tom Defalco and Ron Friends. It seemed like every 10 issues it was getting canceled and uh, fans would write into Joe Quesada and say, you cannot cancel Spider-Girl. And it really worked over and over and over again. This book was almost canceled so many times. And finally, when it got to like issue 100, they finally said, look, we got to cancel this book. (laughs) They did reboot it a couple of times and try it again uh, with a new number one. And I think they rebooted it again with uh, something called Spider-Man Family, where she was the lead um, story in that every issue, but you know, Spider Girl's kind of been put to the side. People don't really talk about Mayday Parker anymore, um, which is weird because I would think when they did the Spider Verse movie, she would be one of the Spider-related characters. I guess because she wasn't 
a, a substitute for Peter Parker, but rather her daughter, his daughter. Uh-huh. Maybe that's yeah. It. There's, there's, she's she is not a part of the current storyline for um, uh, for the Spider Verse, but I wouldn't be surprised if she shows up as a part of it at some point. It would help if she had a different costume. I think yeah, that is part of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I think Spider-Gwen is such a hit. She's obviously a separate character from from Peter and uh she stands out. Super cool costume with the hoodie and the white. Yeah, yeah I mean it's different whereas Spider-Girl is, you know, teenage girl wearing Spider-Man's costume or Ben Riley's really if you look at it really closely. <laughs> a uh, CGC 9.8 of What If Number 105 sold this month for $679, which Sounds impressive until you realize that's down from the 12-month average of $863. So this is the dip, people. Buy the dip. Yeah, and that's why I don't have a copy of it, because it's it's been too expensive for me to pick up. I do think it's underrated. I do, do think it's truly underrated. I think people will focus on Edge of Spider-Verse number two, Ultimate mm-hmm. Fallout 4, even the first appearance of Spider-Punk, for God's sake, and they forget about Aranya and spider girl mm-hmm. give them so, time yeah maybe don't even get me started on the the 90s spider woman do you remember that oh no written <laughs> by john byrne and drawn by bart sears really yeah that was a strange strange series written uh, by burns written by Byrne, john byrne when he came back to spider-man in the early 2000s Indeed. wow yeah crazy We'll talk about that in a future episode because we're going to wrap this one up. Richard, remind everybody where they can find us online. They can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Bronze and Modern Gods or on the website bronzeandmoderngods.com. If you guys enjoy this video, please show us some love by hitting like and subscribing if you haven't already. We do appreciate it, and we will catch you next time. Everybody stay safe.